Well, uh, I am extremely excited to continue our exploration of this brand new series, uh, Facebook. And a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about God being a healer. And last week, uh, we spoke about God being our protector. And today, I want to address a, a very brief attribute of God, a character of God, something that reveals the nature of God and His erohoi, which means the God who sees me. The God who sees me. You see, the whole scripture is not written for merely documentation of some history, even the history of salvation. It's not even written for just some doctrine so you and I could abide by rules and regulation. Ultimately, the scripture is written as a self-revelation book of God. God wants to reveal Himself. That's why we say faith book, the face behind the book. And I, I want to say that this is one of the very few times, in fact, maybe the only time, where somebody gives God a name. Fancy that. It's not a, a God giving a name to Himself that He explores and explains, but somebody is giving a name to God, is giving Him an attribute, a quality that speaks about that person's experience with God. And just as you listen today, many of you would raise your hand up and say, I know that about God. I've been there. I know that God is the God who sees me. And you'll have your own story of that. You would affirm the reality that this person, the most unexpected person to come up with that name, you will have some affiliation with the story. And you know the beauty about this, it's not like God wrote the name and given us some dot points about what that actually means. If it was a Facebook, it would be given in pictures. It's God's narrative with an individual back in the ancient era, and it's written the story in the book of Genesis chapter 16. And you probably are aware that starting from chapter 11 uh, in the book of Genesis, we see an exploration of the narrative of the patriarchs. We start with the story of Abraham. Abraham is being called, just like Megan mentioned early on, to go out of his family, out of his comfort environment, and not even given an idea where he's going. He's saying, I will show you later. You trust me. This is not about the destination. This is about the journey with me. And God promises that he will give him a descendant out of that, a huge descendant like the stars in the sky, like the sand, as numerous as the sand, or countless as the sand on the seashore. And then comes chapter 15. And Abraham is waited for so many years and, and now he's starting to feel a little bit impatient. Maybe he started to second guess himself or maybe second guess what he heard from God. Haven't we all been there? Well, God gives us an unbelievable promise. And he say, wow, nothing out of that even come close to what you promised you would do. It's crazy. But then he, tells, he, he says to God in chapter 15, I've got an idea for you, Lord. I know that things aren't working out as expected. How about I adopt a son? And out of that son, you'll give me a descendant. And God says, nah, it's too easy. I won't do that. I want to do something complicated. 
So he waits, and about 10 years later, we hear in, in Genesis chapter 16, the narrative that we're going, that, that going to give us a bit of context as to the name of God. And it starts with a concept about Sarah being barren. By the way, throughout the book of Genesis and the narratives of, of the patriarch, you probably notice the motif of barrenness. And before a hero comes onto the, faces, the, the pages of history, we hear that the mother was barren. You know, like Samuel and others. And hear how it starts. It says, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, which was uh, Abraham's name before uh, God changed it, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said or Sarah said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan for 10 years, that's a long time of waiting, isn't it? Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. So he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. You're probably thinking, what the heck is going on here? Like, how can a sane woman give her slave girl to her husband to sleep with, and now even called to be his wife? That doesn't make any sense. Well, if you understand the ancient Near East culture, and you're probably aware of, of some of that, that, that was quite normal. Uh, you know, what happened is when uh, even uh, you know, in, in, in different areas, different cultures, they would say if a priestess, if, if a, a person, a wife of somebody didn't give him a child because bearing children was the identity of the woman. It was her security, it was her provision, is, is, is that's what she lived for. Without it, she would be out there, she would be, you know, she could get divorced or she, she'd lose credential in the community. And, uh, and, and in order to fix that problem, a, a person who was barren could do one of three things. First of all, she could have a surrogate mother. So somebody else comes and bear a children for her husband, and she would have to carry that baby as if it's hers. And then the second idea was to have an adopted child, particularly an adopted son, to come into that family and will be considered a member of the family. The third one is to have another wife. But the primary wife always was given the ultimate respect. And the child that would come from the, the surrogate mother would be a part of her family to build her up. Look at what she says, that, 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 um, that she would um, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Actually, the, the original said that I'll be built up through her or I'll be sunned through her in a literal sense. She would grow as a result of someone else's effort and labor. Say so it was normal in that culture. Why did she do that? Who knows? The amazing thing about this particular passage and the passage in, in, in uh, chapter 21, which speaks of the same idea of Hagar and Sarah and Abraham, it leaves a lot of questions for us and for the leader to try to answer, to dig a little deeper. It doesn't give you answers. It gives you more questions. It's like, why would Sarah choose to have uh, you know, her, her, her slave girl to do the job? You know, had she lost uh, faith in the promises of God that he would give them a child? 
Maybe she thought that God promised a child, but didn't promise a child through Sarah. He promised a child through Abraham's body. Was she trying to assist Abraham? Was she selfless and trying to give him the opportunity to have a descendant? What is it? Or she just, as a woman, she was so desperate for a child because that's her identity in the ancient era. Thankfully, it's not the same today. But a woman was of no value without a child and the relational uh, context of the family. We don't know. You can make up your mind. And why did Abraham say, yep, I'd do it? Was he, was he uh, you know, lost faith of the promise that God would give him a child through Sarah? Uh, Sarah? Was he worried that it's, he's growing older and not going to have the promise, so I wanted to help God out? Uh, was he attracted to Hagar? Who knows? After all, she was Egyptian. You know, she must have been a good looker. All right, forget about that. When she knew that she was pregnant, and that's Hagar. Have you noticed that Sarah never says Hagar? She never mentions her name. Take my slave. And then later on say, the slave and her son. She's like nameless. She's like of no value. And not even Abraham mentions, he doesn't mention much. It seems like he was like going around just nodding his head. She began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Whoa. You've just devised the plan and you blame the man. You the one that came up with the crazy idea. I put my slave into your arm. Will you at least acknowledge that you did put her in his, in, your, in his arm? And now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abraham is saying, what the heck is going on? Your slave is in your hand, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. I just want to bring to your attention a couple of words. When, she, when, when Hagar says that Hagar began to despise her mistress, the exact language of that is that she lost value in her own eyes, that she began to look down upon Sarah or, or, or Sarah, uh, her mistress. And then when it says about Abraham, it says, do whatever you think. It actually says, do whatever is fit in your eyes. And the entire thing is people's perceptions of others is being heightened throughout this narrative. It's like, what do you see? What do you see? I see a slave girl. She's your property. Give it to her husband so she can build my name up. And what do you see now? I see my mistress and she's lowered in my eyes because she couldn't give birth. So the problem wasn't with Abraham, the problem with her. And I slept with him once and I've conceived. I don't know, did they have pregnancy tests back then? We have no idea. But she knew she conceived. And then what happens? Sarah or Sarai mistreats Hagar. Hagar began to despise her. That means to look down upon her or to diminish her is the exact interpretation. And mistreat Hagar was the exact same thing and the interpretation of it for somebody to bow down. So she intended to diminish her. So much so that Hagar said, see you later, I'm going. It's a pretty miserable story. She had a, maybe a minute moment of feeling blessed and honored and and now she's going to have a family and to her, to Abraham. And that's the promise. And, and she, no doubt everybody in the family would have heard of the promise and how magnificent the descendant of Abraham is going to be. So Hagar has written her name in history. 
But all of a sudden, everything turns around, and now she has to run for her life. Look at what happens there. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. Near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come and where are you going? Have you noticed that this is the first time somebody mentions the name Hagar to her face? Not the narrator of the story, but somebody looks Hagar in the face and say, Hagar. She has a name. That's the symbol of her personhood. But then straight away he says to her, slave of Sarai, and that's her status, social status. The idea of the Lord finding Hagar, look at, he found her somewhere. He asked her where you've come from, and he asked her where you're going. He found her somewhere. He found her close to the place called the Desert of Shur. And that is the literal word to that is wall. And it was potentially on the border of Canaan and, 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 uh, and Egypt. She was obviously heading to Egypt, even though she doesn't tell the angel that she's going to Egypt. She just says, I've fled from my mistress. She knew where she was coming from. She potentially knew she was, where she was going. We don't know. But she was stuck, walled in, in a desert. She just knows the pain of having to escape after such a high. And now she's in the desert, stuck. What was she stuck? She was stuck between the, the glory that was going to happen if she remained in Abraham's life. And the promises and the awesome future that she has for his descendant. And she's stuck between going back, because she was an Egyptian slave, going back to slavery. She wasn't going back home because she was going to be treated like a princess. She was going to go back home to be a slave when she's just been married. And her relationship and everything related to her identity belongs in Abraham's family. She was stuck. She was walled in. And that's the first thing that you and I need to know. If God was to reveal that picture in his Facebook, he would say, Eroai, visit you when you are walled in. He visits you, he visits me when you are walled in. When, you are, when, when you're between a rock and a hard place. When you've just left something that was awesome in your opinion and you feel like you're going to go back to the good old bad ways. They're not good at all. It's like uh, the Egyptian coming out of Egypt and, and, and wondering about you know, all the stuff that they enjoyed back in Egypt. So they want to go back to be slaves. And, and, and intuitively, she would have known that that's not a good place to go to. But also, it's not a good place to go back to Abraham's because I've been mistreated, I've been potentially abused. And that's a symbol of the tension of your identity and mine. Often we're stuck between the old and the new. The just you and the Jesus you. Your old nature and your new nature. 
the, the one that your personhood named Hagar and your social status and the opinion of others that you're a slave. Whether it's good or bad, if you're between people's uh, opinion and between God's opinion, you're, in the, you're stuck in the middle. And God comes to visit you in the midst of your mess. God comes to visit me in the midst of my mess because he can see the trauma that we're going through. And he says, I know where you're at. I found you walled in, but I won't leave you there. Look at what he does. That's the next step. Uh, in running away from my mistress, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. And the word Ishmael actually literally means the Lord has heard. And the angel of the Lord, if you study in the, in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is, is actually, uh, most commentators say, it's a pre-incarnation manifestation of the second person of the Trinity. That is Christ. Christ came to this woman and said to her, I hear about your trauma. I hear about your affliction. Sarai didn't give a hoot. Abraham didn't give a hoot. Nobody else cared on your way out of your hometown, but I care. And I will come wherever you might be because I've heard your affliction. People may not give a hoot, but I do. I've heard. I've heard your affliction. I've heard how you feel. I heard, I understand. Nobody else understands the pain that's on the inside of you because you've been mistreated. The word affliction or misery in the entire history of, of the writing uh, uh, times of, of this book is either somebody's poor, somebody's mistreated, or somebody's barren. You know what's incredible? God is saying to, 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 uh, God is saying to Hagar, you and Sarah been miserable. Her because of her barrenness, you because of your mistreatment. And I feel for you just like I felt for Sarah. It says, every time you call the Ishmael boy, you know that I know how badly you felt when you've been mistreated. And you're a piece of property because you're a slave. They sold and, and, and bought slaves. It says, no, you're not, a, you're not a piece of property. You're important to me. I know you by name and I hear your pain. And you and I need to hear that. Need to hear that the second person of the Trinity would come to you wherever you might be in the desert of your own pain and affliction and say, I hear it. You don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to get anybody else on board. You don't have to justify. You don't have to complain. I hear it. It thunders in my ear because I'm your dad. And I see what's happening to you. And you know that was the most amazing thing? That the apparition of, of Christ to this lady, hear this. It, you should be gobsmacked with that. This is the first apparition of the pre-incarnate Christ in the scripture. How's that? The second person of the Trinity, the Savior of the Word, the world, the Logos, 
the one that we admire and ad- love and, and worship, the one that has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that one would go after one nameless outcast slave woman and would say, I will reveal myself to you first. Not to Abraham, not to Sarah, not to Noah, none. He would come first to a slave girl because he cares. Your value is not in what other people think of you. My value is not what other people think of us. No value not in what you will achieve, not what you will achieve, not your networks, not your God-given ministry, nothing. Your value is the one that is above all, is moved by your affliction. Let me tell you something. In other words, affliction or misery is not just about how Hagar is being mistreated. But I want to tell you the affliction of Hagar mistreating Sarah. Because the affliction would have been exactly the same as Hagar despising Sarah and Hagar being despised by Sarah. And you both, whether you make the mistake or the mistake is done to you, you feel just the same pain. Isn't sin horrible? It sucks the life out of us. Whether it's your decision, whether you're stuffed up, or whether other people have stuffed up in your life, God will not look at your performance. God will come after you. And will say, I am moved by your affliction, whether you're the reason or somebody else is the reason. I'm moved by your mistakes. I'm moved by your guilt. I'm moved by your remorse. I'm moved by your future that you may have felt like you're stuffed up. I'm moved by your memory of your past. I'm moved by the things that you've done that you would love to take away. It says, I am El Roi, who sees your pain, whether it's your fault or someone else's fault. But I come to redeem your past. I come to redeem your past. Erroy validates you when you've been wounded. But it doesn't leave you there. Look at what the angel of the Lord does. He says to her, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Do you remember that written anywhere else? When God said to Abraham, come mate, I'll show you the stars in the sky. I'm telling you, you're going to be the first, the father. I'm going to change your name. You're not just going to be the father of many. You're going to be the father of nations and every nation will be blessed through you. But let me tell you, Abraham, you're not the only one. Because the same phrasing, too numerous to count, is the one that was given to Abraham. But I want to tell you, it's actually the only woman in the scripture that has been given a descendant promise. Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and Hagar. Fancy that, that God would pick the one who's got absolutely no networks, no worth in the eyes of the community and says, you're just as important as Abraham, if that doesn't make you cry, I don't know what will. And if you think that was just a coincidence, let me tell you something. What happened later on when, when, when Hagar went back because the Lord told her to go back because it would have been safer for her and it's better for Ishmael to be brought up in Abraham's household. But later on, 13 years later, they get casted out, disowned, and they go into the desert. 
and, the, and, and Hagar puts, the, puts Ishmael, her son, under the bush so that she doesn't see him dying from thirst and, and, and all the elements. And you know what happens? The angel of the Lord comes and shows her a well so he can give her son back to life because he would have died. So Hagar receives Ishmael back to life. Abraham receives Isaac back to life. Abraham, you know better than a slave girl who's been outcast because Eroi values every single soul under the face of this earth. And he says to her, I tell you about that son of yours. He will be a wild donkey of a man. A wild donkey. And that sounds like when in, in our country when we say somebody's a donkey, it's like stupid. I don't think the angel was saying, celebrate, your son is going to be so stupid. She's not going to go back. She just wants him dead in the desert, right? But what the, the metaphor of donkeys actually referred to two things. Free and lived in the desert. Free and lived in the desert. And you know what God was saying? You're worried about Ishmael? You're worried he has no future? You're worried that he's going to be like a slave like you? No! His destiny is different. He's going to be free. He's not only going to be free, you're going to have the desert as your inheritance. You're going to have a land just like Isaac is going to have a land. And you're going to have a descendant and you're going to marry your son. And he's going to have people all over the place. You're going to be free. Yes, he's going to have hostility. But hostility doesn't just mean that, you know, he's going to have problems. It means he's going to be strong enough. Because if you're weak and people come against you, like look at my muscles. When people come against me, I run for my life. I can't have hostility with many people except my little son. He's in year six. I can have hostility with him. But the rest, I'm stuffed. If he wasn't strong... He'll be gone. He's saying he's going to be free. He's going to be in the desert. And he's going to be strong. You know what God says? Erewi, Erewi, visions you for the future. He gives you a vision for your future when you feel worthless. Slave. Not accepted, not loved. Feel like a piece of property, which exactly was the value of slaves back then. And he says, I will give you a promise like the only woman that experienced that. Not only that, you will name God. Ah, my goodness. Look at that scripture. It says, she gave this name to the Lord. How many of you put your hand up and say, God, can I give you a name? In a, can, can we just write it down in the scripture? You know, Peter, you know, said, gave God a name. The lady gave God a name. The only person that can give God a name in the scripture. And she said, Erawi, the God who sees me. And I love this last one. It says, I have now seen. I have now seen the one who sees me. And the day you and I see the one who sees us, Maybe, just maybe, we go back into our areas where we've been mistreated and we see ourselves differently. 
because you are a product of what somebody else thinks and sees in you. You're the product of the eyes of a significant other. If you think that God Almighty believes in you and values you and validates you and visions you for the future, you have hope and future in the one and only one that actually matters, you're going to go back there strong and courageous. You're not going to be bowed down. You're going to stand up. And that's your heavenly dad.